0: supernatural
1: is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it doesn't. AM 1420 WESN presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Carstow.
2: Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz here to talk with you about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. and We're always excited to to come to you and, and speak about this topic and listen to your thoughts about this topic. But there's so many different avenues and different angles uh, to explore in the paranormal. And, and one thing that we haven't explored enough in my eyes is the connection between religious beliefs, religious faiths, and the paranormal. We're going to get into that tonight with our guest, Pastor Robin Swope, the Paranormal Pastor. And you can check out his website, theparanormalpastor.blogspot.com, which is also linked up right on the front page of spookysouthcoast.com. And we'll get into that in just a few minutes with Pastor Swope. But one thing that uh, we talked a little bit about, Matt Moniz, at the end of last week's show was the controversy that had brewed when Donna LaCroix appeared on The Ghost Divas and some of the statements that she made on that show and some of the, I guess you could say, revelations that were made on that program and the effect it would have on both the Atlantic Paranormal Society and the Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International programs. So... Uh, a week ago at this time, there was a—I a, guess you could say—a big hubbub. There was a lot of uh, buzz and controversy brewing around that. Safe to say, you're friendly with both of the parties involved, and and you were in constant contact with them throughout the week because basically we were trying to get them to come on our show and and the scary post,
1: we were getting them getting them to come on the show before this all started too. So that
2: true. Get, true. But I mean, we we were going to try to uh, give them these airwaves to kind of work out their differences, but. Apparently, everything's cool.
1: Yeah, they work things out, and uh, you know, according to both sides, they they're, uh, they were told by people uh, to you know just let it let it go. It's not worth the yeah. efforts because. Uh, legalities that are involved in contract things, and you know it 's just not worth it
2: and, and not that we want to you know if we 're privy to certain information because we 're we 're friendly with people we don 't want to you know let too much of that information out publicly because it 's not our place right. but the point of the point of this is to say you know they 've moved past it, and so we are too, so uh we 're not going to address the 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 topics that were brought up i mean if if at some point we need to do a, a program where we you know if there's cause to rip apart somebody and expose them you know that's that's not what we do here we we don't tear people down and and you know we don't go to the airwaves with uh something that might have been posted on YouTube and say hey here's proof that they're faking it we we can't operate that way right not only because you know we're on regular radio and there are some broadcast and journalist guidelines that we want to follow uh to be a lot of this this spot here on on actual radio. But uh that's not who we are as people. I mean that's not what we're all about. We would want to give people every opportunity they could to come on and speak for themselves.
1: Right. I mean obviously if something comes to light that's, you know, glaring and, you know, it no if, ands or buts, you know, and provided with credible, reputable, you know, here's here's the proof of what I'm talking about then okay. Well, but even the, then,
2: it's discussion. It's not yeah, accusation. It's Right. And it, that's that's what I think people got lost with a little bit here was, you know, it, it was discussion and it, it should have stayed as discussion, but it quickly turned into accusation. But like we said, it's all all water under the bridge and we'll move on. Right. The field will move on.
1: <laughs> Jason and Donna have now moved on as the rest of the population. And, that needs and no,
2: no offense to Jason or Grant or Taps or Ghost Hunters or anybody involved with the program. But I think, for the most part, the paranormal field has kind of moved on from ghost hunters. I think they've kind of, uh, you know, decided that ghost hunters did all that it could for the paranormal community in terms of bringing it to light and making it, and it still is to this day, gaining new audience every day. Right. But in terms of furthering the field of of you know what's going on, it's it's kind of fallen into what its role is now. They're not going to be groundbreaking. Uh, they're not going to reinvent the paranormal on that show. They're going to stick with what works for them and, and what's making it a successful program.
1: Well, you also have to look at the saturation of all of the other channels, all having something like this. They're only one flavor out of many, you know, that's available. About this topic on the t v so be, if you don't more. like if you don't like one particular style change the channel or somebody else doing something different?
2: many more coming down the pike so yeah uh, that that would just be my suggestion to the to the paranormal field and and to those who are in it and those who are out there investigating every weekend and and take offense when you know t v shows portray things in a certain way don't don't worry about it
1: it's t v people
2: it really it really does not have everybody says that when you know. Ryan Buell goes on Paranormal State and does things that way, or when Chip Coffee does things on his show, or whatever, that it all has some sort of impact in the field. You know what? It really doesn't. Zach
1: yelling at, you know, the spirits. Oh, right. I mean, that's,
2: that's just stupid TV. That's not even, but anyway, it's, I'm not going to get into all that, but it, it, it doesn't, it's not going to hurt the field. It's just going to bring in awareness. If people think that that's what you do, when they call you for an investigation, well, then it's on you to prove to them that that's not the way that it is. And I've never seen the way uh, an investigation was conducted on TV where I felt that that's going to make people not want to go out and and bring in an investigative group. You know, it might not be the approach that they want to use. It might not be the particular group that they want to use. But I don't think I've seen anything that's going to really shy people away from saying, I think my house is haunted. Let me call in a seasoned investigative group to check it out. But... Off my soapbox now. Let's move on with the show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we this, have
1: this is your show, so it is your soapbox.
2: Yeah, but that's not what it's for. We're sure. we're here to entertain and inform, and we're gonna definitely do that tonight when we talk to Pastor Robin Swope, the paranormal pastor. And then later on, in hour number two, we've got a new segment debuting here on Spooky South Coast. Uh, what I hope is gonna be something that we can do fairly regularly, you know, maybe once a month, once every five weeks. We're gonna call it the Balzano Breakdown. And that's where our friend Chris Balzano is going to come, down, uh, come on the program, and he's going to break down for us something in the paranormal field, something that is maybe even on the fringe of the paranormal subject matter, but something that is gaining a lot of attention and gaining a lot of, uh, we'll say, love, <laughs> admiration, affection, uh, crazy obsession. That would be the Twilight craze. That will be the first Balzano Breakdown that we're going to address tonight. And uh, hopefully going forward we can do this on a regular basis. And And Chris, I know, is, is trying to get back to the story, get back to the original essence of why he got involved in the paranormal field. And hopefully these Balzano Breakdowns will get us back to the essence of what's going on. Hey, Twilight's great if it makes a, a teenage kid pick up a book w- when she wouldn't have. And notice I said she when she wouldn't <laughs> have otherwise. But... Um, We'll talk about what its effect will be on, on the paranormal community coming up later on. We may even actually call a real-life teenager on the phone. <laughs> I have a a friend, we'll say, who is uh, Twilight obsessed, and uh, we may be giving her, notice I said her, a call <laughs> to see if she wants to discuss with us exactly why she loves it without bogging us down in the details of exactly what it's all about because I don't care. <laughs> We'll get into all that and more. So why don't we take a break? When we come back, we will talk to Robin Swope, the paranormal pastor. Check out his website, theparanormalpastor.blogspot.com. It's also linked up right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com. Anytime you want to jump in during the course of the discussion, just give us a call. 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420 for a toll-free call. You can also go into the chat room on Justin TV. You can talk there. You can chat with some of the other listeners who are in there. And, of course, email us directly here in the Spooky Studio, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Well, we'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast.
1: lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back.
2: All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. And joining us on the phone right now is the paranormal pastor, Pastor Robin Swope. He's a writer and been a Christian minister for more than 17 years in both mainline and evangelical denominations. He holds a B.A. in biblical literature and finishing, and uh, Matt, I'm going to assume that's master's.
1: Yeah, master's divinity.
2: (laughs) I don't know much about religion, as you can tell and pastoral ministry with an emphasis on marital and family counseling, which we could probably use him to help counsel this family here. Mm -hmm. He has served as a missionary to Burkina Faso and has ministered the homeless in New York City's Hell's Kitchen. He is the founder and chief officiant of the Open Gate Ministerial Services and a church council member of St. Paul's United Church of Christ in Erie, Pennsylvania, and has a son who wants to be a Jedi like his father before him. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. My son wants to be a Jedi, too. All right, welcome, Pastor Swell. How are you?
0: Hi, good, good. How are you doing
2: tonight? Oh, we're spooktacular, as we say here. Uh, great. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. I, I've been wanting to have you on the show since I happened to cross you on MySpace probably over a year ago. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking you if you if you wanted to come on the show, and you were kind of just starting to, to dip your toe in the water of all this paranormal media stuff. Mm-hmm. And and now it seems like you're one of the the, the rising stars, as they say.
0: Yeah, I, I get I get my hips on the, on the blog, and I've uh, had a couple books published, and so, yeah, and it's, uh, I did not, uh, last year I did not do any radio, but uh, Brad Steiger, uh, one of my friends helped, you know, ushered me into that, so I'm getting kind of used to it now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we like to just, uh, we like to kind of explore new angles in the paranormal, and one thing I don't think we've talked enough about is the religious implications of the paranormal, and, and how, whether or not, you know, people's religious beliefs and their paranormal beliefs can go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, in mean, obviously in your line of work, you know, you must have caught a few uh, weird eyes from some other colleagues when they find out that you pursue the paranormal.
0: Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, and it's funny because, to tell you the truth, every missionary who's been on a, a third world country, they have their own paranormal story, um, uh, but they won't really phrase it as such, they'll call it a power encounter. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of uh, bad history between um, occultism and in, in the, in the church since the 18th century with revivalism and uh, the rise of spiritualism. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's uh, getting through a lot of basic, you know, misinformation about what the paranormal is, uh, you know, how to address it and how to look at it with different worldviews.
2: And that's something I think is kind of lost on today's culture is the fact that, you know, there are ghost stories in the Bible. There are people who, you know, can find UFO references uh, in some of the biblical passages. It seems like, you know, this this stuff was, at one point, kind of went hand-in-hand with belief in a higher power.
0: Oh, yeah. In the early Church Fathers, they were, you know, the belief in, uh, you know, supernatural uh, experiences, uh, the unexplained... Um, it was it was commonplace, and it wasn't until, you know, the rise of um, humanism and skepticism um, really sort of, you know, on the whole, uh, supernatural front of the church put a damper on it, and this became uh, more humanistic and anti-supernatural uh, in a way. Um, but, you know, within the last hundred years, there's been a rise in uh, the belief that... Miracles, um, and I think hand in hand with that, just an awakening within the church to know that you know unexplained things do happen, and how to you know put them in their context for the Christian. So, and you know, I, I there are a lot of people still who are in the ministry who think I'm totally crazy, which is okay because you know I am totally crazy, but that's okay.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> but, let's, let's talk a little bit about about your uh, your background. I mean when you started studying for the ministry it at one point did you start also pursuing the paranormal or was it kind of something that has always been together for you
0: oh yeah i've uh, always been a um interested in the paranormal read a lot of ufo uh when i was into, uh, cryptozoology books like uh, um from ivan sanderson and um bigfoot and lake monsters uh living next to lake erie which has had uh, some stories of lake monsters and We've had UFO sightings here. Uh, Erie is a very strange place. Uh, paranormal appears everywhere. I really wasn't um, into you know the whole ghost thing, though. I referenced it uh, before, but you know I was really interested in, in just all the unexplained. Um, I've had different experiences myself, and going into the ministry. Hear about breaking news today, or read about
2: it. Boy, that has how long has it been since that happened? Our computer used to fire off all the time at will until we had we actually had the studio blessed by a demonologist uh Oh, Keith Johnson actually. I don't know if you if you know him, but uh he came in and and blessed the studio and for a long time we had no problems and then all of a sudden we start talking to a pastor <laughs> and it happens again. I'm sorry, you were saying.
0: Oh, just uh you know, it's um it's just a part of who I am looking into the unexplained and you know, I'm ex- basically looking for evidence of something beyond our, you know, just mortal plane. It, I think it really does go hand in hand with uh, a spiritual mindset, a religious mindset. So, yeah, and um, once, uh, you know, I became a, a Christian, um, I was born again, uh, going into seminary. You know, strange things just seemed to follow me all, all over the place. I was actually at a prayer meeting uh coming I mean, back from our chapel in the middle of the night in the mid-80s, and uh, there was these strange lights going down the middle of the Hudson. I went to Nyack College in New York. It was during the, uh, the flap down there. Uh, I was stopping people saying, do you see that? Do you see that? They're like, wow, that's really strange. I'm like, it's UFOs. Uh, it was that uh, UFO flap uh, with the giant triangles in Hudson in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it just seems to have a natural progression. That's what the Lord wants me to... Begin
2: to so, you know. I always hear people say this. You know, the the diehard religious zealots who will tell you when they find out that you're interested in the paranormal, they'll tell you that you shouldn't look into ghosts, say because it goes against God. But in my eyes, I mean, what further proof could there be that there is a God? If you know, otherwise we're just accidents of biology. And if there is some sort of soul or some sort of intelligence that can live beyond the show that we're in, well, that's more proof for me that there's a God than anything else, I would think.
0: And in Christian theology, uh, systematic biblical Christian theology, um, there is a state between death and the final judgment that's called the intermediary state. There's not a lot scripturally about it. Um, There's some references, Paul says, those who are asleep and Lord... uh, um, be, uh, there's a reference in Luke. Uh, it's a parable, uh, being in Abraham's bosom. Uh, Paul also says it's uh, to be absent to be bu- uh, from the body is to uh, be with the Lord. Uh, but there's no real theological reference of what exactly happens to us after we die and before the judgment in Christian theology. So it's really, you know, it's an open gate, an open door. To explain what is happening and what we experience, are um, you know, and there's a lot of uh, cultural references of, especially with the Catholic Church, that once people die, they can look down on you and see what you're doing. Um, and I think the um, view that uh, there are spirits and ghosts of the departed can go into that same sort of mindset. And I think if there is a cultural mindset about something like that, there has to be some sort of uh, secondary evidence that points that way. Uh, whether or not what it is is, you know, you know that's why we investigate.
2: So. And have you been in instances uh, when you have investigated and looked into these things where has anything ever challenged your faith or has it only made it stronger?
0: I don't know. Nothing's really challenged my faith. Um, it makes it stronger. Uh, I'm at the point now that um, it, it just comes, just walking day by day, I've had a lot of challenges uh, in the ministry and life, going from denominationalism, um, I stepped away from denominationalism for for a while there, just because I saw a lot of abuse. Um, and you know, I've had encounters with demonic forces. I've had encounters with different spirits. You um, have to say are harmless, mm-hmm. and it seems like they are the disembodied, but you know, spirits of those who passed beyond. Especially in the church that I'm at now, St. Paul's United Church of Christ. It's been investigated many times. Uh, You hear children's voices giggling, laughing. Um, People are walking down the stairs in the dark, and uh, the investigators and the the flashlights, you know, can't go on. And they have a voice on the order, and EVP says, uh, Be careful.
2: Just to. Just to clarify, and I mean, you don't have to elaborate if you don't want to, but when you spoke of being in you know, the denominational church and you mentioned abuse, you mean like abuse of power or?
0: Oh, everything. Everything under the sun. Um, <laughs> I've actually had uh, board members jump across the table at me, trying to strangle <laughs> me, um, just because I wanted a, a country western band, uh, and the church loves country western, um, to just joined the church within the last couple months. They wanted to perform in the church, do some gospel songs, but uh, they had played in a, in a bar before. And so the church had to stand for something, they said. And an elder actually jumped across the table trying to strangle me. <laughs> uh, we had a discussion about, okay, who can sing then? And they said, somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, how can you verify it? And what about children? So they decided children will not sing in church. So abuses of power um, die hard you know thought that has no reasoning behind it and I've seen a lot
1: fanaticism
0: of fanaticism definitely fundamental fanaticism yeah it's
2: kind of a, it kind of makes me wonder I, I get really nervous sometimes that there's little pockets of Puritanism still uh, still alive and still in existence and it, it it ends up reflecting negatively on on churches as a whole I think mm hmm
0: I wrote uh, one time about the, the not so holy spirits of the, or not not so holy spirits of the church, um, and it's weird because every church does have a spirit about it. Um, that church was very condemning. Uh, I've had uh, different churches where it seems like sexual things, weird sexual things go on, and each church has their own little thing. Uh, one church I served in had a, a child molester doing a uh, children's sermon. Um, hmm. You know, and then I challenged the pastor about it. I was the assistant. And the pastor said, well, I'm not going to let my child go around him. <laughs> so I, I left that church, um, got things straightened around a little bit, but it, some things are very disturbing. Uh, but I've you know if I found a great church in St. Paul's United Church of Christ. It's a very well-rounded, um, where the rubber hits the road kind of church. Amen. They have a homeless shelter and great people.
2: One that's supportive of your work in the paranormal field. Actually, yeah,
0: um, half the board uh, are believers in paranormal, yeah. um, and uh, the vice president of the board is uh, somebody who I knew before. Um, just after I left the, left the Christian Missionary Alliance, was a dispatcher at an ambulance company, and there was a lot of paranormal activity going on there. He was there as, as well as a uh, um, as a EMT, uh, and uh, we both experienced quite a bit of different things there. So, yeah, I found a church that uh, goes right down my, my, my worldview in Christian theology.
2: Well, well you, you mentioned uh, that you had encountered the demonic, and, and one of the books that you've written is uh, an exorcist field guide. So I'm wondering if maybe some of this encountering with the demonic is also tied into your missionary work in Africa.
0: I've Yeah, I've had uh, different experiences in Africa as well, um, mostly you hear a lot of stories. Um, the m- most experience that I had actually was in seminary. Um, the seminary I went to was actually a occultic uh, tantric sex uh, magic um, camp wow. <laughs> before the um, the owner passed away and it was bought by the uh, Christian Missionary Alliance. There was all kinds of things happening. There was uh, people seeing uh, a man in black a black-cloaked man disappearing, walking through the campus. Uh, There was one dorm room where the walls were covered with mirrors, and if you stared into it, you'd see faces. Um, And I did have a a demonic encounter in in one room. It actually was a physical manifestation, me and another friend. It it looked like a frog-type man, something out of H.P. Lovecraft, basically, Um, in the shadows and just melded in the shadows um, years ago. It was... Definitely interesting, and uh,
2: I mean, how do you how do you deal with something like that when you encounter it?
0: Prayer, yeah, just prayer and um, commands, telling them to leave. Uh, that's one of, one of the reasons too why I, I wrote the book. Um, I, I get I get a lot of people asking me what to do when you have an encounter, especially a lot of uh, paranormal investigators when they have a violent uh, uh, haunting. What do you do? What's a resource? And there's with, really was no resource out there. Um, it's a primarily Christian book, but it gives you commands how to do it: uh, casting out, uh, building up a wall, um, prayers in um, English, Latin, even Gaelic, and some African languages too.
2: Is there is there a danger though in in putting um, those type of uh... In putting that type of uh, ability to com- combat these things into the secular hands?
0: Well, um, as a Protestant Christian, um, one of the uh, primary tenets of Martin Luther was the priesthood of all believers. Um, and that is, you know, the right to do the sacraments. Um, and uh, exorcism is a right. It all hinges on faith. I've known some people who have had no formal training. Um, who have the faith, and if you believe, and you make the commands, you um, you pray and you believe, uh, they'll meet with success. I've had some people who have had training and multiple multiple experiences, but they lack faith at that time, and you know nothing happens.
2: Well, that's one thing that I've I've often, often discussed with people is, you know, I don't think I have the the faith myself to say, well, all right, well, I'm going to become an exorcist. But if I was confronted with uh, what was a demonic presence, I'm pretty sure that faith would be pretty instantaneous because if I'm thinking that, <laughs> that what's in front of me is a demon, well, then I've got to believe that there's a God, too. Mm-hmm.
0: And they work on fear. Um, a lot of times, uh, they're, they're very sneaky. It doesn't. They don't appear first as demonic. They'll appear as an oddity. Um, and over time... Their their chief thing is to uh, cause fear in whoever owns the building, whoever inhabits the building, um, and you know, the overcoming the fear and having the faith is, is the key. Because sometimes when you get in, in those situations, it is it is spooky if something happens, especially you know if you know if the temperature goes down, things start moving, or you hear voices or noises. Um, I've never had anybody—the scratches and stuff you see on the back, and you see on TV. I've never had any of that experiences, even in exorcisms. I've had a lot of different weird things happen, um, but the fear is is the thing that runs the course through the whole camp of encountering a demonic presence.
2: See, there's—I've heard so many different things from different demonologists and exorcists over the last few years. I've heard, you know, some of them say that demonic presence is probably accountable for less than one percent of these negative paranormal occurrences uh and i've heard others say that it's so prevalent it could be as high as 60 or 70 percent of negative spirit encounters are actually demons in your experiences i mean how how common is it how often is it that somebody might encounter one of these demonic entities
0: well if it's a negative um malevolent force uh that's the first Place you should go to is approach it as a demonic presence.
2: Okay, um,
0: and you know it's always better safe than sorry. Yeah,
2: um, what's the worst that could happen if it's just a if it's just a, a former human who's just a nasty person? I mean, I guess nothing really bad could happen from you know approaching it as a demon.
0: And if you issue the commands, I mean, that's the same way that you uh, you know reclaim a uh, an area too. A building is by command telling him to leave because. They are no longer the owner of the building. They are not wanted there. So it's basically the same approach with an exorcism. But you're using the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, pleading the blood um, and with prayers and, and uh, commands that are more religious-oriented.
2: I mean, I'm not... Uh, I couldn't even recite to you, you know, the Lord's Prayer. That's how little I know. But uh, we've actually... we. we live very nearby the Lizzie Boyden Bed and Breakfast, and we have frequent opportunity to investigate that place. And we think that whatever's there is something of a a demonic presence, something negative for sure. And we were there one night, Matt Moniz, with the K2 meter, and we weren't getting anything out of it until I started using religious provocation. And then it lit up like a Christmas tree. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it seems to be like once you do kind of pay it, I don't know if it sees it as paying it almost a respect, that you're recognizing it for what it is. That that's when it seems to, to get a response, too.
0: And, you know, if, if it's a demonic presence. Um, Christian tradition is the demonic are fallen angels, and only one-third of the angels fell. So for every one demonic presence, you have two angels on your side.
2: I like those odds.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's a winning battle just you know to have the faith.
2: Well, we are talking with uh, the paranormal pastor, Pastor Swope. And if you'd like to call in, the number is 508 996 500 996 1420 for toll-free calls. You can also email us, spookycrew at spooky com. And I, I often check on your blog and, and see some of the things that you're writing. And it's always, it's a different perspective than where I would normally um, think and where I would normally look to find information. And one of your recent postings was on 2012 And there's, you know, everybody's worried about this. The movie just came out. So that's kind of put it in the mind of the common people who haven't been paying attention to this for the last, oh, how long has it been since the Mayans ruled the earth? But, you know, for those who are just kind of catching on to this whole thing, um, they are starting to panic and starting to get worried. And you actually mentioned in your post that there are a lot of similarities between these, uh, you know, the Mayan, idea of 2012, or what we've kind of placed on that, and what the Biblical traditions are.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, since um, well, uh, since the dawn of time, um, I include a, a, a passage that's found in ancient Mesopotamia, um, that said the end is near because there's uh, a wickedness abound, abounding in the world. And that's the Christian tradition too, that the world's getting more wicked, and Christ will return, it'll be the end of the ages. But Jesus also said in Matthew 24 that nobody knows the day or the hour. Um, and if somebody's saying that you know this is the day Christ is going to come back or the world's going to end, you can you can bet on it that that's not the day. Um, there's been so many different uh, traditions. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses um, began as as a uh, eschatological cult, um, um, being that you know they they were drawn to this leader. Who was predicting the end of the world? Um, so many other traditions, the same as um, Seventh-day Adventists as well. They they began uh, that way, where their leaders are predicting the end of the world is going to come. They'd sell their possessions. They'd all meet on a mountaintop, and when you know, nothing happened. Um, and it's a, it's a, you know it's a tradition that we always see the evil around us. We're always pessimistic, and especially the way the things are happening today with our economy, um, you know, what's happening in the world, Um, even in our, you know, our social conditions in our local um, communities, you know, it seems evil is growing, there's more um, bad things happening. It's not like it was when we were young, and we want to have some sort of answer, and I think that it's a pessimistic Viewpoint. Sure,
2: uh, no, it definitely is. Yeah, it's,
0: how is it going to end? It's got to stop somehow.
2: I mean, I'll I'll make two points here uh, about that. One, I, I don't think you know people are going to be surprised to hear this, but they may be. The world is coming to an end. We are closer to the end of the world than we are to the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's called time. It just happens. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's imminent. And the other problem that I have uh, w- with a lot of this too is. Look back and, and and through history, how many times people felt that you know the end times were here, that things couldn't get any worse than they were, and you know you mentioned how things are a lot worse than they were when we were younger, but that's kind of just aging, uh, you know we, the nostalgic nature of 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 the human condition is that things were always better before. So, oh yeah, I mean I don't think we're any worse off than we were a thousand years ago, but for some reason w- once a pocket of Believers think that the end is near, it just spreads like wildfire. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think that has to do with the technology. We're able to spread words faster than we were back then. So it's just not, it's it's instant, whereas, it, you know, like a poisoned idea would take a little bit longer to travel.
2: Because Walmart sells so many of those uh, left behind books. Yeah. <laughs> so it's got, it's got everybody worried.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And and, uh, even when I was in the '80s, it was a popular idea that you know um, Christ was coming, and Reagan was the Antichrist, and you know almost every president, you know, (laughs) every ruler has been predicted as being an Antichrist by some uh, faction or another. Um, We're just so pessimistic; we want things to be better, you know. uh, But the human condition is, you know, to suffer and struggle. And to become better people, to build character, and to go on day by day, and uh, we all want—we all want something easy, but it—you know—that's just uh, a unit, utopianism.
2: Well, you know, we're a firm believer here that the uh, the Antichrist is Bono, so, and, that, <laughs> and that doesn't make me love the guy any less. He's—I he's, still love the guy; he's still my idol. But I just—I I, got a sinking feeling that it's him.
0: I remember when U2 was sold to the Christian. Christian stores when they first started out, they it, weren't sold. They weren't sold in most music stores, just in Christian stores.
2: Ironically, uh, every one of their songs are still considered to be, you know, about God too, even though the, the the subject matter seems like it's changed. They are still written basically about God and faith. But yeah, they are. Yeah. If if, if he turns out to be the Antichrist, I fell right in hook, line, and sinker. So. <laughs> so one of the things that I want to talk to you about, and I was, as I was doing a little research on you. As I found out that you used to be part of a, a group known as the Omega Men.
0: Oh, yeah, the Omega Men.
2: Yeah, what's, the, what's that all about?
0: <laughs> well, the Omega Men started as a, a group in Nyack College uh, by a good friend of mine named John Arneson. Um, it, was, uh, it, it was under the guise of the Sci-Fi Club. All the Sci-Fi Club guys uh, were really the Omega Men. We'd go around and, um, well, I was more one of the, the passive <laughs> Omega Men um, I'd, I'd like going to bed earlier at night. So, but uh, going out, uh, exploring all the strange things that were happening in the campus, um, we also were by uh, an old um, oh, I forget what the, what the name of the place is, but it's an old uh, World War II uh, French frontline post where there would be training uh, to fight in the, the, um, the trench warfare. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is that's where a lot of mob killings eventually ended up the guy who uh, um, Tony Soprano was based on. He uh, did a lot of killings in Rockland County. That's where the college was. and They'd leave the bodies uh, either in the river or up on the mountain there. So uh, there was a a lot of uh, rumors uh, that there was cultic activity going on up there, and they'd investigate that. They're also the security uh, team at the college, too. So um, they'd always go around and... Uh, our uh, library of our college had a lot of fetishes and stuff that the missionaries would bring from the uh, from everywhere they were at, and there was a lot of paranormal activity there—lights turning on, things pumping, going around. They'd investigate that stuff too, so they were sort of like an early group of, of paranormal investigators mm-hmm. on a Christian aspect, but also sort of paramilitary as well. I, was, I never got to the paramilitary side. They're all um, um, with the uh, um, reserve. So. But And now, uh, if you look in uh, Weird USA, New York's edition, mm-hmm. the book, uh, there's a lot of people who see the old tags on uh, the fortifications at the, um, the old base about Omega Men, and the rumors are still there about the sacrifices and the deaths and stuff. So they... Sort of think that the Omega Men are the satanic group <laughs> <is> killing people. <laughs>
2: they, com- they combine the two legend. they combine the legend into the reality and make yeah. it something different.
0: I, it was the funniest thing. I was reading, uh, reading it, in there these horrible satanic cult called the Omega Men. <laughs> 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 and I, I immediately had to email my friend John and let him know. He's actually a security officer uh, in the middle of Pennsylvania right now for a large firm.
2: So it's it's safe to say there won't be Omega Men franchises at different colleges around the country now.
0: You never know. There's quite <laughs> a bit of Omega Men I never knew were out there. <laughs> I think the Omega Men are kind of getting old and right now.
2: We need some fresh blood there. So, uh, not not in the uh, not in the <laughs> cult killing sense. No, but uh, we're, we're coming up uh, coming up soon on the news, and, and I know we're going to let you go after that. But I do want to ask you one question because last week after the show went off the air, we got a phone call from someone, uh, well, two weeks ago, from someone who was going through some paranormal activity in their house, and and they didn't know what to think. I want to ask you, as a pastor, if someone was to come up to you and say to you, you know, I think that I have activity going on, Um, I I, I don't know, I don't really believe in this stuff, uh, and I don't know what to think, I don't know how it makes me feel about my faith in God, and... How would you counsel somebody through ha- having some sort of experience like that?
0: We'll find out exactly what's happening, and what's happening determines what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, if there is uh, possibly a malevolent force, uh, you tell them to make commands to you know leave the police, leave you alone. Uh, if you think you know, and trying to debunk anything, maybe get a paranormal crew to do you know to do debunk things. And, Get them to check it out. That's what I do. I, I'm involved with a lot of different groups that do
2: consulting. Um, so, I mean, first and foremost, your role as a, as a pastor is to kind of console and to to, to help them do whatever they need to do to, to get past it.
0: Yeah, yeah. If It's really disturbing them uh, just instill faith. that You know, they're not alone. They don't have to be afraid. Um, it could be something normal, and if it's not normal, then God's on your side.
2: See, I think a lot of secular investigators, they'd be tell- saying something like, you know, go home, put a tape recorder down, start yelling at it, <laughs> you know, challenge it. And
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of against challenging. Things, things can happen and progress with challenging. Because even though you might initially um, encounter a, a, maybe a disembodied spirit or a, a benevolent force, you can always draw malevolent forces to that.
2: Ooh, that makes me uh, not want to ask my next question, which was I was going to ask if you wanted to come up sometime and, and help us uh, confront whatever this thing is that we're dealing with uh, at Lizzie Boyden's house.
0: Oh, hey, yes, I'd love to do that.
2: Well, I, I do challenge it, though, so sometimes it's the only way and we can get it to come the out. And he gets the
1: snot beat out of him every time he does.
2: Yeah, well.
0: <laughs> but, you know, it all depends on the owner. You know, it, you can go in there with Hollow the faith and all the uh, people behind you praying and if the person who owns the place or resides in the place does uh, not have the faith themselves, then it's it's not going to be effective at
2: all. Oh, the owner definitely does, but that's the only catch, is if you do come up and no matter what it turns out to be, we can't cast it out because then it will be bad for business. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thank you very much, Pastor Swope, for joining us. We'd love to have you come back on again in the future and, and talk more with us and give us that different perspective of things.
0: Sure, sure. It was great to be here.
2: All right, and and all your your books are available through your uh, through your blogspot site.
0: Through the blog and on Amazon, all you have to do is just uh, do a search for Pastor Swope, and you'll find them.
2: Excellent. i will highly recommend them, and and uh, we thank you so much for joining us. Keep doing what you're doing, and stay safe out there. Okay. Thanks. God bless. Thanks you too. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is Pastor Swope and the Paranormal Pastor. I mean, just from the beginning when I first heard about him and. And he first started kind of making his way into the, you know, the MySpace community, the Facebook community. I said, "Here's a guy we got to get on the show." I'm glad that we were finally able to do so. So, yeah,
1: pretty uh, knowledgeable guy.
2: Absolutely, and I, I like the fact that we can, you know, look at things from a different perspective. And I might charge into something, you know, going into investigation a lot differently than he might. And that's what it's all about. It's bringing in different perspectives and different approaches. Not everybody believes the same thing, and. The way I see it, if you can kind of stack the deck in your favor, if I go up against something that's demonic, like I said, I might not necessarily believe in the idea of the demonic or God, but if I can have some people with me that do, and then all of a sudden <laughs> I have a religious epiphany at the same time, Well <laughs> it's good to have, you know, we like to bring with us the, you know, we call it the God Squad, you know, the yeah. the uh, the faithful backup. All right, well, we are coming up against the news, uh, but we do want to let you know, don't forget, coming up December 4th in Fairhaven right here at the Seaport Inn and in Marina is Rock for Christmas. Eddie Money is going to be playing right here in Fairhaven. You can't beat that. Eddie Money coming to Fairhaven along with uh, Kelly Keeling of Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Terry Luce of XYZ, Ernie Bach in the Automatics, and uh, Joey Molland of Badfinger, they're all headlining the Rock for Christmas tour. And it starts in New York, uh, Long Island, New York, on the 3rd of December, comes to Fairhaven on the 4th of December, and then it'll be at Cape Cod Community College on the 5th, and then a whole bunch of shows around. Rock4Xmas.com, that's rock4xmas.com. That's the site to go to find all the information about the tour and what's coming up. Also where you can purchase tickets. But we have some tickets here. Uh, Wayne Morrison, the organizer of the event, was here with us last week. He dropped off a bunch of tickets for us to sell, and he also left some T-shirts, too. I've got a black Rock for Christmas T-shirt and a white Rock for Christmas T-shirt. And the first people to come to the Spooky Studio uh, in the next hour, because we're only going to be here till midnight, the first two people to come here and buy two tickets, I'm going to give you a free Rock for Christmas T-shirt as well. So the tickets are only $20 each. You can't beat that to see Eddie Money headlining a show right here in Fairhaven. And it's only, what, five or 600 people that can fit into the room, so it's going to be a really small, intimate show. Wayne already promised that if you mention Spooky South Coast, you get to meet Eddie Money. You get to go backstage and meet him. Uh, So why not come down and get your tickets? As I said, $20 a piece. Come on down. The first uh, two people to come down here and buy two tickets, I'll give them a Rock for Christmas T-shirt as part of the deal. All right, when we come back, we're going to have... Uh, a little bit of discussion amongst ourselves. And then the first ever Balzano Breakdown coming your way right here on Spooky South Coast. Emailed it too. Yeah. Wait, I can hear
0: my... Hello?
3: This
1: can't be happening, man. This is happening. Spooky South Coast. Cool. <laughs>
0: Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen.
2: Welcome back, hour number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. We had a great first hour talking to the paranormal pastor, Pastor Swope, and you can check out his website, theparanormalpastor.blogspot.com, it's also linked up right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com, and in a little bit we're going to talk to our friend Chris Balzano with the first ever Balzano Breakdown we're going to talk about the Twilight craze. So if you're a Twilight fan. Anybody? I, I no? was listening for the crickets in this room. If you're a Twilight fan and you'd like to call in and share uh, in our discussion a little bit later on, the numbers are 508-996-0500, 996 I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Twilight. I'm just saying I don't know anything about it, and I'm not really interested in finding out anything <laughs> about it. But, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, uh, I'm not against it. But we'll talk with Chris about that, and he's going to help us break it all down. And, of course, we'll do the Week Weekend Weird in just a few minutes as well. But uh, as I mentioned before the news break, we do have some Rock for Christmas tickets here at the studio for sale. Of course, you can purchase them at the Seaport Inn and Marina. Uh, you can go to their website, seaportinnandmarina.com, and also go to rock4xmas.com, rock4xmas.com. If you want to find out how to purchase tickets, but uh, you can certainly come by here and purchase them from us for $20 a piece, and the first two people that come down here and buy uh, two tickets, uh, $40 worth of tickets, we're going to give you a free Rock for Christmas t-shirt. So you can't go wrong with that. And also, uh, the Seaport Inn is also uh, putting together a great package that's going to allow you to actually stay at the Inn as part of the deal, and uh, I'm just trying to find the information here. I know I have a lot of it with me here. Hang on one second. At the Seaport and Marina, there's a special VIP package for the Rock for Christmas event. Uh, it includes two tickets to the Rock for Christmas event, a guest room for two, VIP seating with early entry that includes cocktails and hors d'oeuvres, with a special meet and greet with celebrity guests, photo ops with the stars, and you also get an autographed copy of the Rock for Christmas CD and two Rock for Christmas t-shirts. This incredible package is available at 199 for a special VIP guest. So that's not a bad deal at all. For $199, you get two tickets to Rock for Christmas, a room for the night for two people, so you can, you know, party all you want, not have to worry about driving home. VIP seating, special seating close to the stage, with early entry that includes cocktails and hors d'oeuvres and a meet and greet with all the stars of Rock for Christmas. You can't go wrong. You can get your picture taken with Eddie Money, Butch Patrick, Kelly Keeling, Terry Alouse, Joey Mullen, Ernie Bach, everybody. They're all going to be at Wayne Morrison if you. Us. Yeah, well, this is a special celebrity guest. It's not no. people who think that they're celebrities. Well, I guess we'd have to put Wayne in that, too. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case he's listening, i got to take a dig oh, out gonna of it. i got to get a phone call. Yeah, phones, phones going to light up. But uh, you can't go wrong. What a great package. I mean, $199 and, you know, the fact that you're getting two tickets, you're getting cocktails and hors d'oeuvres, you get to meet these people, and you're getting a room. I mean, it's... <laughs> You can't go wrong. You don't. I mean, I, I might even buy that package, to tell you the truth because I'm a little bit worried about how I'm going to drive home <laughs> after that event because it's just going to be a great party, and we highly recommend everybody that can hear us come out to Rock for Christmas on December 4th here in Fairhaven. If you want to find out some of the other shows on the tour, just go to rock4xmas.com. All right. And it's still linked up right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com as well, so you can't go wrong there. And listen to last week's show. You can find out more about the event as well. Uh, one other thing that we want to talk about, uh, we are getting extremely close. Next Sunday will be our investigators' night at the Quickashan Club in Fall River. And if you want to get involved, uh, time is running short. Right on the front page of our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, is the uh, the investigators' night link. You can click right on there, and there's a sign-up form that will automatically send me all your information. And then you can pay for it at the door. So you don't have to actually pay for anything in advance. Just get yourself on the list now to make sure that we hold that spot for you. And then next Sunday night at the event at 6 p.m. at the Quikishan Club, we'll collect the money then. $50 a person. And we've already got people lining up to come and investigate. It's going to be a great night. There's going to be a lot of uh, good investigators there, people that we know and trust and have worked with, as well as some newcomers. Uh, And you really can't go wrong. I mean, if you want to get involved in this field and you're not sure, I mean, I can't think of a, a better place to go and investigate because for one thing in the dark, when we turn all the lights off, it's going to be relatively easy to get around. It's not like the Winchester mystery house where there's a, (laughs) there's a lot of rooms, but it's a pretty simple floor plan to navigate. So uh, you don't want to go wrong with that. I know Matt Moniz, you know, when we investigated, uh, it it is kind of a, we were a small team that night and it is kind of a daunting place because there's so much room.
1: It is a good sized place,
2: but there's also plenty of room where you can go off on your own and do some investigation and not really have to worry about there right. being too many people. So we, we're limiting it to 50 people. We think that number will work out pretty well, and there are still some spots available. So if you want to get on board, if you're a group, if you have a team, you want to reserve spots for everybody, if you're just a person who wants to get out there and experience the paranormal, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can sign up. If for some reason you are unable to use a computer, get to a computer. I know a lot of our listeners don't have computer access. Just give us a call after the show goes off the air. I'll write your name and information down. Uh, the number is 508 996 500 996 1420 And you could also show up the night of the event, and if there's room, we'll be happy to let you in. So Good pizza. Yeah, I don't know if they're serving food, though. I think the cook's got the night off. So maybe if we can get enough people to come... They'll, uh, they'll have a few pizzas waiting for us in the oven when we get there. So, but just make sure you sign up if you want to get involved with this at all. It's Thanksgiving weekend. It's a nice, relaxing time for everybody. It starts at 6 p.m. You're going to get a paranormal class. We're going to teach you a little bit of the basics of paranormal investigation. You know, basically, what are the different types of activity that you can encounter? And we'll go through it all. We'll have the guys from Dartmouth Anomalies research team there as well to help out and to share with you what they've found in their previous investigations of the Quikishan Club. And I'm pretty sure that if you go there and you investigate with us and you have a great time, you're going to want to become a member of the club afterwards because it's, uh, it's cheap and affordable and you'll get the chance to hang out there and look for ghosts all the time. All right. So, and then, of course, you know, we also want to make sure if we don't forget to say it later on, we do wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving holiday. Mm. So I know it's going to be a hectic one for me, but... The good thing about having to go to two different people's houses, two different turkey dinners. There you go. All right, let's get a little weird.
1: More bad news.
0: Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful yeah, I feel, I feel so very weird. <laughs>
2: The Weekend Weird. Alright, our first story. Probably going to make my wife a little nervous because of, uh, you know, she knows about my sleep disorders and the fact that she sleeps next to me every night. From BBC News A man killed his wife during a dream. The trial of the husband accused of murdering his wife as they slept in a camper van has heard he killed her while he dreamt she was an intruder. Christine Thomas was killed in July of 2008. Uh, the Crown Court heard Brian Thomas uh, accept he killed her but says that he has a sleep disorder which had been triggered by, quote, boy racer activity. Jurors have been told that they can reach a verdict of not guilty or of not guilty by reason of insanity. Uh, he, the barrister involved in the case described how Mr. Thomas killed his wife, his childhood sweetheart, because he had dreamt she was a man who had broken into their motor motorhome. The court was told Mr. Thomas' disorder meant he was not in control of his actions when he strangled his partner of 40 years. After commissioning evidence from sleep experts, the prosecution agreed his actions were involuntary and he could not be held responsible. Uh, they said that the defendant was charged with the murder of his wife, whose deathly he accepted the causing. Right, so that I, I hate BBC stories, they don't make any sense. Learn to write English, English people. Uh, the barrister said the prosecution did not seek a murder or manslaughter or conviction. Instead, he said they were looking for a special verdict of not guilty by reason of insanity. Um, so, just scanning the story real quickly. Uh, He called 911, or they use 999, but he called 999 and told the operator, I woke up fighting one of those boys that I uh, were in my dream, uh, but it wasn't a boy. It was Christine. Uh, He had dreamt of a man crawling across the bed, putting him in a headlock, and then woke to find his wife dead. Uh, The prosecution told the police that they had been highly skeptical of his explanation when they charged him with the murder, and he's saying that the sleep disorder made it involuntary. So that's all. It's a lot of repetitive stuff in that BBC story. I should have read that a little more in depth before I took it to the airwaves. But that's crazy. I mean, first of all, I don't I don't know what boy racer means because I'm not English, but the fact that you're having a dream that somebody isn't breaking into your house and the next thing you know you're killing your wife. I mean, at what point do you not wake up from her struggling? You know? (laughs) Unless she was having a dream that, you know, she was being gently massaged around the neck by her husband. (laughs) I don't know. But I, I just I, I can't buy that. <clears throat> We're gonna find out more about the it's, story. Uh, I think more more information will be coming <laughs> about this story. All right, mm-hmm. Matt Costa. Uh, hopefully, your story isn't from BBC News.
4: Uh, no, but it, it is also English. So it's from uh, the Telegraph. <laughs> you always make sure you rewrite your stories, I, though. So I do. I proofread. Um, I look for weak and
2: weird <laughs> stories during the news break. So you know, we all have yeah. our thing.
4: Fly by the see pants radio all right many churches uh, had suspended the tradition of keeping ho- holy water in open fonts into which people dip their hands following the outbreak of the h1n1 virus
2: oh please
4: but an uh, Italian inventor has combined faith and ingenuity to create an electronic terracotta dispenser which now is being used in the in the northern town of for
2: Nacini de Priscoli. We just say fettuccine Alfredo That's whenever we can't pronounce something. Okay.
4: <laughs> a pasta primavera. <laughs> 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 the mafia is going to kill me. Uh, it functions like an, uh, an automatic soap dispenser. A church girl wave, waves his hand underneath a sensor and the machine spurts out holy water. Catholic, Catholics entering and leaving churches usually dip their hands in fountains full of holy water which has been blessed by a priest but fear of contracting the H1N1 virus has led many in Italy where some 15 people have died of the swine flu not to dip their hands in the communal water after all the news that some churches like Milan's Cathedral were suspending the use of holy water fountains as as a measure against swine flu demands for the invention has been received and orders have been coming in from all over the world
2: Look at that. I want to know who the first clown is that's going to walk in and think it's a bubbler <laughs> They're going to like wash their hair it's, in it. I can just picture like Curly from Three Stooges washing his golf balls. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, are, are we that concerned about the swine flu that you can no longer dip your hands in holy water? Apparently, these, I, I would think it would be immune. That see, that's why the the Jews and the Muslims have it right. Because they wouldn't get swine flu because they don't touch it.
4: Yep, swine is dirty.
2: So, but then again, they wouldn't have holy water either because they don't believe in Jesus. So who knows, you know, it's just whatever's, (laughs) whatever works. Uh, All I know is that uh, it'd probably be a lot easier to just have a a regular sink there and a priest next to it.
4: (laughs) Will this bottle? Oh, no, just a regular <laughs> sink and you
2: know, Ultra as, boy with a garden hose. Just, just <laughs> when you when you come in there, you stick your hands underneath and you start, you know, dipping your hands or whatever you're doing. The priest stands there and blesseds is coming out yeah. of the fountain. Right? What's wrong with that? Yeah. Or just play a tape. Play a tape of the priest.
4: Everybody gets a bottle of aquafina. <laughs> That's been blessed.
2: It's like uh in From Dust Till Dawn when they have the holy water balloons water balloons. <laughs> that was a good idea. Actually they weren't water balloons, they were condoms, but <gasps> Oh, I said a bad word. Matt Moniz. Now that we've crapped all over religion, Matt Moniz, what do you have for us?
1: Researchers say they have found text on the Shroud of Turin.
2: Yeah, we're going to hell after this show. I thought we were doing a good job having the paranormal pastor on. I thought we were kind (laughs) of reserving our little spot in heaven. What ends up happening? We totally blow it all out. All right. I'm sorry, Moniz. (laughs)
1: That's all right. comes from the AP. Rome, a Vatican researcher claims she has found a nearly invisible text on the shroud of Turin and says the discovery proves the authenticity of the artifact revered as Jesus' burial cloth. The claim made in a new book by historian Barbara Fra— I would say that is um, Frail. Sure. Yeah. Freil do immediate skepticism from some scientists who maintain the shroud is a medieval forgery. Frail, a researcher at the Vatican Archives, says the faint writing emerged through computer analysis of photos of the shroud, which is not normally accessed for study. Frail says the, the jumble of Greek, Latin, Arama- and Aramaic includes the words Jesus Nazarene and mentions he was sentenced to death. She believes the text was written on a document by a clerk to identify the body and the ink seeped into the cloth.
2: All right, well, that is true. I mean, they, it is very rare that they make the Shroud available for research. And I I know that there's, I think it's 2012 or 2013 that they're going to allow uh, a wave of scientists to come in and do different testing and everything. But my problem with this is how old is the Shroud of Turin? How much do we not know about what was done with it in the early days? Somebody could have written that, you know what I mean? Like... It doesn't prove that it was there when his body was there. It just means somebody wrote on it at some point,
1: right? It could be like, "What is this? I'm putting this in the um, in a box." Oh yeah, this is the shroud of. Terrain. Like when you pack up yeah. and you move, you know. Yeah.
2: You got your box of kitchen appliances, clothes, shroud that Jesus' body was buried in. It's, you know, but don't mark that on the box because the movers might steal it. Like when my brother wrote video games. never write that when you're moving always write dishes (laughs) nobody ever steals dishes alright well our thanks to Craig Anderson of Our History Project for submitting the story about the Shroud of Turin and if you'd like to submit a story to the weak and weird all you have to do is go to spookysouthcoast.com, click on the forum go to the Week and weird thread drop the story in there and if we read it on the air you'll get a bumper sticker while supplies last hey Moniz I heard that you got some of the stuff back from Florida
1: some not all
2: I talked to the guy that's got the rest of it. Hopefully, it should be here this week or next week. All right. So then everybody that wants to buy a T-shirt will actually have some for sale? Or did you give them all away?
1: No, there was a, you know, there was only like four or five that were brought up there. I thought good enough. there's that's a lot of stuff that's missing. Good a enough. lot of stuff that got damaged and broken, that's too. That's
2: because when you put them in a box, you wrote Spooky South Coast Merchandise. <laughs> and then the movers took it. That's no, what happens. TSA. <laughs> that's what happens. Don't write video games. All right. <laughs> I'm still mad. You won't be in Nintendo 64. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back with more here at Spooky South Coast.
1: Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades.
2: Spooky South Coast is back. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the Silent Assassin Matt Costa and Science Advisor Matt Moniz, and we'd like to say hi to everybody in the chat room at Justin TV, which, of course, is normally the TV arm of Spooky South Coast, but. We haven't had the video up and running. And thanks to Craig, who is offering to send us an Ethernet cable. We may just take you up on that. We're going to do some measurements and let you know what we need. Um, but also, i got to do something with my webcam program. It's, it's not great. So uh, it might be a switch from Justin TV. It might be a switch to a different webcam program. But we'll figure it all out. I do have a really, really great um, mini DV camera, but no way to connect it to my laptop. So... <laughs> If I can uh, figure that out and we can get that working, it might be a better quality picture and it might be uh, a better refresh. And you know, We, we want to make sure we're doing it right or we don't want to do it at all, so we'll try and make sure that we can get that going in the next few weeks. But I can tell you we look the same. I probably gained a little weight since Halloween because I ate all that candy, but <laughs> other than that, we look the same. I mean, we don't really even have that much different clothes. We've got like four or five different shirts we can wear, so... <laughs> Like, it's pretty much, just all you have to do is, like, just look at some old episodes of Spooky TV, and you'll it's the same thing. You won't know the difference. But uh, if you could see us right now, we're waving and saluting all of you, so thank you. All right, and we have, joining us on the line for the first of what will be a series of what we'd like to call the Balzano Breakdown, we have Christopher Balzano. He's the author of numerous books, including the latest, Picture Yourself Capturing Ghosts on Film, and... I've been. Oh, there you go. His own theme song. He's one of the few guests to actually have their own theme song because he is the founder of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads. Chris, how are you doing?
3: I'm doing very well. I hope you guys are all uh, spectacular this evening.
2: Oh, we are. Well, how else can we be? <laughs> you know, every time uh, every time I see Eric Clapton, he says, you know, for some reason he just felt compelled to write that song, knowing that probably 30 years after he wrote it, you'd be born. <laughs>
4: Uh, he didn't even write well,
2: it.
3: It's a trick question. Yeah, I was going to correct you there, but, uh, you know, it kind of predates uh, Clapton's birth, I think. Yeah, so. but I didn't, that's uh. A, that's a different show altogether.
2: I didn't run into Robert Johnson. Well, maybe uh, well, Actually, I was talking to my guitar teacher this week, Chris, and, and he wants to actually plan, well, I want to plan a trip and, and have him go with us. We all want to go down to the crossroads. And I've, I've kind of wanted to investigate down there and, you know, not investigate necessarily, but just like hang out and, 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 see if we can make something happen and uh he's all game for it and it's it's closer to you than than we are to it so hopefully you can come along with us
3: if you guys get that going just give me a a little bit of advance notice to get the wife's approval and i'd be totally up for it and i actually want want to hit the uh the um the famous cemetery that the allman brothers did a lot of their writing in uh you know inspired by uh by robert johnson too and so i think that and that's you know and you've had, you've had, uh, what's his name on, and he's talked about that, uh, you know, the Patterson on, and he's talked about, you know, all the, uh, the names of the, the classic Almer Brothers songs all being grazed near Robert Johnson. So yeah. I'd, I'd be totally hip on doing that.
2: A memory of Elizabeth Reed, sure. Mm-hmm. And we can, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely give you advance notice, because we're going to need to plan it like a year in advance to, to be able to get down there. But, uh, I just think it'd be a cool night, and, and just a cool vibe, and, you know, uh, you play bass. Matt plays guitar. I have a guitar, <laughs> you, you know. So maybe we can all go down there and. mix. I'll give Moniz my harmonicas because he wailed on those things during the Paranormal Blues shows.
3: And maybe we can get Steve Vai to tag along, and we can recreate some uh, some classic scenes from the movie Crossroads. I'm pretty <laughs> positive we
2: could get Machio. <laughs> I don't think Machio's got anything else going on these days. All right, well, we're bringing you on tonight for this what we like to call the Balzano breakdown. It it was. Kind of just something that came to me when I said, you know, we've, we've known Chris for a long time and we know that he always has a different take on things and he likes to boil things down to their very essence. And so naturally when I thought of Chris Balzano, I thought of Twilight.
3: Oh, of course, the two go hand in hand.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we talked about Twilight though, you and I did about a year ago when the story broke about the, uh, the school in Boston. I think it was Boston Latin High School where they had, um, some, I think it was a phony, Phony papers going out to parents, warning them of a vampire cult within the school.
3: And, and the funny thing is, is, as we're having that conversation, I was actually on a field trip, and we'd stopped off at Subway, and we were eating on the way back. And as we're having the conversation, three of the young ladies, and at that time I was teaching middle school, three of the young ladies had different Twilight series books open, and were reading them as we were talking. So, I mean, it was, it's definitely something that um, I've been submerged in <laughs> just teaching high school, and uh, in middle school, junior high, for for about five years now. So it's it's um, it's not something new. It's just kind of more exposed because, of of course, the movies are kind of bringing it to a whole new level for, for people who are even too lazy just to read the books.
2: Well, I mean, I'm all for anything that gets a teenager to crack, crack open a book. And I'm sure you're the same way of being a teacher and, and seeing how hard it is sometimes to get these kids to handle, you know, what – the assigned classics that they have to read uh, and the fact that they can pick something up on their own and, and start to read, that's got to be at least a step in the right direction.
4: Well,
3: you know, the thing is, like when I was uh, teaching, I remember when I was I was teaching writing and supervising uh, projects at, at Emerson, and we're, Ness and I were now, dealing with, you know, 21-year-olds whose idea in life is to write. And I had this one student who, kept submitting these, like, cyberpunk novels, kind of like, imagine, uh, Johnny E. Mnemonic
4: type
3: mm-hmm. things with all these words I didn't understand and all this formatting I didn't understand. And so I had to read kind of outside of that to get it um, and kind of realize that the man was writing for a certain audience and a certain genre, um, and he was doing it fairly well. Um, we have to understand, when you think about Twilight, you know, Stephanie Myers she has chops. She's not a bad writer. She's actually probably better than the majority of paranormal books that I've read in the past year and she actually tries to uh, not, not many people know this but the four books that she has mirror four different classic books so the the New Moon uh, one that's out right now it's getting all the press because of the movie it's really uh, in essence Romeo and Juliet to the fact to the point that they actually the characters even go to Italy at one point and there's you know the whole fake suicide and, and all these other things so Stephanie Meyer, unlike a lot of authors in the kind of supernatural fiction, supernatural romance fiction, definitely supernatural young adult romance fiction, um, she's the cream of the crop. There's a reason why her books are popular. They're not, she's she's not a bad writer. She's actually a fairly good writer. But but so there are definitely worse things your kids can be reading.
2: But that being said, I mean, at, at its essence, these are romance stories, and, and they're teenage romance stories. They're not – it's not um... – you know, they're not reinventing the the wheel when it comes to vampire or werewolf legends.
3: Right. No, not at all. And, and you know, it's one of those things you have to understand, like, if my dad is listening to Tupac, um, he's Tupac the Tupac failed somewhere along the line. If you're <laughs> reading this book and you're enjoying it, um, it's not designed for you. Um, now, the first book she actually wrote, and they kind of said, this is where we're going to gear it. um. But the, the genre is nothing It's never really gone away. I mean, everything from Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula to kind of, and of course my personal favorite, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, this stuff has always been out there. And there's a very genuine reason why it does. These these characters appeal to, um, to people who want eternal life, people who are kind of looking beyond themselves, all the same people who are looking for... Um, the answers to these ghost questions that we explore and things like that, they appeal to it. Now, the, the weird thing is, is that time has gone on The vampires have gotten younger and younger. Um, so you have the very, the classic Dracula, who is, <laughs> an all essence, a middle-aged man. Uh, then you kind of are moving forward and you get to kind of the Anne Rice ones who are now these, you know, early 20s, late 20s kind of characters. And then all of a sudden, you know, with things like Buffy, with things like the new kind of onslaught of, uh, of romantic vampires, the very dashing, the very uh, sexually appealing vampire. Um, you're not dealing with teenagers and very early twenties. Um, our vampires are getting younger, and they're appealing to a younger audience. And but the odd thing is, they're appealing to them in a comp- for a completely different reason. Uh, and like I said, I was talking to my wife about this, and it actually blew her away when she thought about it. Um, vampires and werewolves, in the, in the same essence, are very much teenagers. Um, of course, Dracula is Dracula. He's there, but these these kind of new the kind of new generation of vampires they are very sexy. They're very uh, with it. They're outsiders. They appeal to that James Dean kind of like part portion of us. But the weird thing is, is that they only become monsters when their emotions take over. Um, when they become emotional, usually anger. It takes, and that's very much like a teenager who mm-hmm. one moment can be very kind of passive bored with life, not interested in anything. Then when that emotion kicks in, all of a sudden they become a monster themselves. So to actually see that kind of transformation take place physically um, and have it be uh, intimidating and empowering is very much appealing to to a teenager who doesn't know where these fits of anger come from.
2: That's a a very interesting take on it. I was going to say my favorite vampire of all time was like 10 years old. Didn't Jonathan Lipnicki once make a vampire movie? That little blonde kid with the glasses? No. Oh, yeah, he took told, he
3: told it. It was a, uh, and so did, uh, what's his name? So did, uh, uh Fred Savage made one too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah the other, well, you know, Buffy would kick both of their butts, but, you know, <laughs> that's, and, and I think that, you know, the beauty of Buffy and what, what the Twilight series can't do, but touches upon, which is important that it tries to at least touch upon it, is these kind of parallels between becoming a young adult and these, these, you know, absolutely horrendous emotional thrusts that happen when you're a monster.
2: Yeah, Matt Which found it. Little, little Vampires, that's the name of it.
3: <laughs> yeah, there you, there you go. And I think the first savage one is Little Monsters. So um, obviously not too original with the, with the titles. Like you know, like... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and, and the funny thing is, is that unlike a lot of books in the genre, and I'm by no means, you know, like, I'm not wearing a Team Jacob shirt right now or anything like that.
2: Whoa, he knows Um, about the Team Jacob shirts. Oh, please. You can (laughs) tell you're around teenagers all the time.
3: (laughs) Exactly. Well, the funny thing is, is actually that, you know, I I made a bet with one of my students, and um, if I won, she had to wear a Mr. Balzano is the best T-shirt all day, (laughs) and if I... And if, I, and if I lost, then I had to wear a Twilight shirt all day. And so I lost, so I had to actually walk around school the last day of school wearing this uh, Edward Twilight shirt and having the kids make fun of me. But uh, unfortunately, I know more than I want to know about the topic. And I've used it in class because it's it's valuable. But, but one, of the, the, one of the things that separates um, Twilight from other, and so it's, it's actually really unique in this sense because vampire and vampirism and these cults that kind of pop up that are vampire-inspired are all very closely tied to sex. Mm -hmm. Um, And Stephanie Myers is not that. Actually, her vampires are the exact opposite. Um, Her vampire, and maybe this comes from her being an actual Mormon, but her vampires are almost asexual or non-sexual to the point that um, the main characters don't have sex until after they're married. Um, and it becomes one of the, and, and then of course as an extension of that, you know, the, the main character Bella doesn't, uh, isn't granted her wish to become a vampire until they're married. And you know, so that vampirism being an extension of kind of the sex and the commitment, they don't get it on until, until after, uh, until after marriage. And so it's a, a very actual positive message in a, in a genre and with a, a paranormal creature, a supernatural creature that before this has been very much tied to sex and you know, sex and violence and the kind of connection between it's like owning someone and life power
2: you well, know, that you get from blood. Is there, would you say that the current vampire craze, not just Twilight, but vampires in general, is that because of, you know, the success of Twilight in that series and, and the, um, the Charlene Harris books, or is this more because for some reason there's something in our culture where uh, vampires have become appealing to us?
3: Yeah, vampires, I think, have been appealing um, ever since they became sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> no one really was like, you know that Moussferatu guy? Like, I totally <laughs> want to be like him. I want to have that, like, elongated face. But when, as soon as you know, kind of... Well, and one, might say, and one might say as soon as Christopher Lee took over the role uh, and became one of the definitive vampires, but, you know, after that, especially over the past 20, 25 years, um, I think really starting with the... Uh, Anne Rice series in her books, and I had you know it's not something new. I had friends in college who thought there was a Lestat walking around, and you could not convince them that Lestat was not real. Uh, they truly believed that a vampire had given Anne Rice uh, interview with a vampire, and that she was the actual person who was doing the interviewing, and it was just it was literally a conversation she had had.
2: Well, can I just point but, out though that you you went to Emerson, <laughs> <laughs> you know,
3: and. and These vampire kind of like little social clubs have existed for a long time. Now, that being said, there's a very dark side um, to to, to vampires and to kind of especially teenage, I shouldn't say especially, I should say to teenage vampires, the dangerous cults, the cults that are really kind of into, it, the clubs that are really into um, taking real blood and really like sharpening their own teeth into things, they're generally, oddly enough, not teenagers. They're adults. Um, but there are these kind of scary, and of course here in Florida we have you know Rob Farrell who is the, the vampire lord who uh, ended up uh, committing, uh, he, he killed two parents of someone who was in kind of his group of vampires and had convinced these teenagers that he was a real vampire. But for the most part, the kind of active, doing things that might be considered dangerous, definitely doing things kind of outwardly, vandalism, things like that, um, are more of the, you know, older vampire sex, not the teenagers.
2: Well, Michelle Belanger is a a very noted vampire author, and she focuses a lot on these real, actual vampire cults or groups. And she says, you know, normally that one of the more popular things, uh, instead of the actual uh, blood sharing, is the idea of the psychic vampire and the fact that they will give up their energy and their aura to each other. And... I can kind of see that being something that would catch on with these teenagers. Um, I mean, maybe it's just not something that's addressed in in the Twilight series, but I could see them, you know, deciding to to share these energies with each other because, let's face it, teenagers have a lot of energy to share. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and vampires are
3: cool, you know. Um, I mean, even if you just take Twilight and kind of the basic plot of of the first book and the first movie, you know, there are two parallel situations going on. Uh, a teenager, confused, abandoned, basically by her family, moving to a new town, the outsider, but she's a little weird anyway. Um, that fits in perfectly with a vampire who's the same exact way. You know, he might be eternal, and she's not at that point, but it's like, you know, there's this, that connection, so it's always going to draw teenagers who are kind of sad and lonely and on the outside. Um, but the thing is, is that these books are mainstream, and so people who are not considered the oddballs in class are reading them. My wife read them all. Um but one of the things is is that people aren't you know, we joked about Team Jacob and Team Edward, I believe it is. Um, people aren't saying, I like vampires or I like werewolves, and therefore I'm supporting. They're saying, you know, Jacob's hotter, uh, or I'd rather, you know, be on a date with Jacob, and therefore I support him over over Edward. It's, it's so the I don't think a lot of teenagers with this series, um, as opposed to with other vampire series that have come out and had an impact, I don't think they're they're realizing, or they're, I don't think they're living the supernatural, the occult aspects of it as much as with others. They're good romance stories of outsiders.
2: I think Tyler Lautner is way hotter than Robert Pattinson. And I have oh, no, no idea I, how I knew yeah, both their names.
3: I've been a huge fan since Sharkboy and Lavagirl. I was, was going to make a Sharkboy
2: joke, but you beat me to it. <laughs> have you
3: seen Lavagirl lately? She was on episode of House, and uh, no, and it made me a little bit. Uh, anyway, <laughs>
2: <laughs> you wish she was in three D now. Oh, my
3: wife I can't even talk about those kinds of things right
2: now, so. But, you know, my wife's read the uh, the books, too, and she hasn't watched the movies. She kind of almost refuses to watch the movies. But uh she has read the books, and her sister's read the books. Her sister's in her, you know, early early to mid-20s. So, I mean, it is definitely having an appeal beyond this teenager crowd, but it just seems that they have become so Twilight-obsessed that it's it's kind of everywhere we're turning now, we're seeing... Something related to it and I didn't know six months ago what it had to do with anything, but now I know. Now I know that uh you know, it's it's a twilight thing when I see it.
3: And and it's one of those things, it's the same you know, it's the difference between all of the um all of the books that are kind of like that and about sorcery and Harry Potter. It's about, you know, why um why any really good series catches on or why a series becomes pop shouldn't say a good one, but why series catches on is because it has the ability to um, make someone escape. And it's all about escapism, especially for fiction. But the other part of it is is that it's a very detailed world. I mean, if you read something and it's just very surface and you can talk about the plot of it, that's fine. But when it asks questions or it begs kind of like you to think about things or it has a very intricate plot that's constantly changing or that you really have to think. And, you know, once again, like Stephanie Meyer does things that most authors don't do uh, especially in this kind of genre of fiction, which is to switch perspectives, to go back and forth in time, things like that, which are used, which are good devices in the, in the hands of good authors. Um, but I think people can get so caught up in it because it is intricate. You know, it is kind of, um, there are things to debate. There are things to say, hey, did you catch this part of it? Um, and so, you know, I'm not ready to give it a fault or anything like that, but I, I think that, Uh, For the most part, it's shown itself to be kind of a clean, supernatural outlet uh, for for, for young adults and then, of course, for women who wish they were still young adults.
2: (laughs) You know, you mentioned Harry (laughs) Potter, too, and one thing I found out this week that I was unaware of, there are over 200 universities and colleges Mm -hmm. that now have club-level Quidditch teams. Really? It's actually become an actual sport that kids are playing in college, you know, out on the quad, and I, I guess they, they don't fly, but they do everything else. And, I mean, I've never seen the Harry Potter movies, never read the books, I don't know that much about it, but I, I'm familiar with the idea of, of what it is. So the, the fact that it's kind of created its own sport, you know, it's like the new Ultimate Frisbee. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. The new Ultimate. <laughs> it's called just Ultimate, right? Is it
3: called Ultimate now? I think so. Um, and the funny thing is is that I actually saw a documentary recently called We Are Wizards, which I would recommend to anyone. You can see it on Hulu. Um, I feel like I own stock in Hulu, but um, it's actually about this whole birth. And there's, like, dozens of bands that write songs and perform uh, things about uh, Harry Potter. And, of course, Boston was kind of the, the genesis of this with, uh, with Harry and the Potters. But there are dozens of bands across the country who, like, take on personas of characters in Harry Potter. Now, that's that's crazy if you think about it in terms of, you know, okay, some people are wearing T-shirts of, of Twilight, but these are actually kids that are uh, devoting themselves musically to being wizards. So it, it, it's kind of, and good stories will appeal to people like that.
2: It's you an... can't ignore them.
3: You can't put them down. You have to kind of say they're, you know, they're a, uh, they're a... Uh, uh, a glitch in the matrix in, in our society, and they're kind of cool, at least to the people that are involved in them. So you have to kind of recognize that.
2: I mean, if you asked me 10, 15 years ago if I thought kids would be reading books, I would have said, no, please, books are dead to these kids. But Harry Potter, Twilight, these are books that are bringing it back, and, and, uh, it's, I'm hearing kids go to see the movies, and then they say, you know what, I thought the book was better.
3: Right. <laughs> yeah, you see a lot of that. You see a lot of, uh, you see and. And then the funny thing is that it's also cross-culture. The first people that I was exposed to um, were my Hispanic students, my students from uh, from the Dominican, and they were devouring it. The female students were devouring The guys wouldn't have anything to do with it. Um, but the girls were, you know, and it was it was very much a, uh, a Da Vinci Code syndrome thing. One person had a book, and then the next day two people had a book, and then within a week ten of the girls in the class were reading a book. And, and even though it, they weren't, Hispanic characters; these ladies were absolutely loving it.
2: Well, Chris, thank you so much for giving us the Balzano breakdown of Twilight and putting it in perspective of not just being a pop culture phenomenon, but being something that you know is more than just that. I mean, it's not just pop culture; it's our culture. It's it's something that goes beyond just you know the the trendiness of it, and it's deep rooted. And I don't know; I've I've found vampire sexy myself since Lauren Hunt and Once Bitten, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, just remember,
3: all vampires are representation of the life and times in which they're written about. So just keep that in mind, and you'll have Twilight, uh, Twilight in a nutshell. All
2: right, perfect. Thank you very much, and uh, let's do this again real soon.
3: Beautiful. Thank you for having me on. Have a good night, guys.
2: All right, talk soon. Take it easy. Bye-bye. So that is Christopher Balzano with the first ever Balzano Breakdown. And, man, I'm looking forward to more of these because he can basically – he can take any topic, and he can tell you what the deeper meaning of it is. He's one of the best analytical minds out there in the paranormal field, and I'm excited about the fact that we can bring him on and, and have him analyze these things, break them down for us, and kind of explain to us what's going on, because too many times we just take things on the surface, and we say, hey, vampires are popular, and he can tell us why. So
1: He's also a great writer.
2: Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And uh, you can check out all of his books. Just go to masscrossroads.com and you'll be able to find all the links to all of his books there. And you can purchase them for yourself and, you know, catch those clowns that are in the videos that come with the <laughs> picture yourself books too. All right. Well, that about does it for this week's show. Next week we'll be back here to talk about the paranormal. Even though it's a holiday weekend, you know, we're still going to come to work. You know, because uh, for us Thanksgiving is a couple hours in front of the turkey on Thanksgiving. we got to work the rest of the time. So, uh, Matt, any Black Friday plans? Hey, No. Yeah, not, not running out to any big sales? No. Monies, you? No? no? Not
1: mm-hmm. worth it. No, just a couple of investigations.
2: On Black Friday? Sure. In the morning? 5 a.m.? No. <laughs> be the perfect time to do it. Nobody else will be around. They'll all be <laughs> in the stores. All right, well, enjoy your Thanksgiving holiday, folks. and We want you to have a safe and a happy one. We'll be back next week to talk with you more about the paranormal. Don't forget... Eddie Money, Rock for Christmas, Rock for Xmas.com is the website, Rock the number four, Xmas.com. Paranormal uh, Investigators Night, November 29th at the Quick Club, SpookySouthCoast.com to sign up for that as well. We want to see you there. We're going to, we'll be here for about another 10, 15 minutes. If you want to come by and purchase some tickets to Rock for Christmas, we'll give you a free t-shirt. All right. So until next week for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, I want you all to stay spooktacular.